It's the episode you've been waiting for. Today, we talk about that great, famous number in Revelation. Well, not so great. 666. And we also identify who the Antichrist is. Yep, we're going to name him. You only get this here on the Deep End Podcast. I hope you're ready. Let's go to the Deep End. This is the Bible. It is the most loved, the most read, the most scrutinized, the most cherished, the most criticized, the most enjoyed, the most studied, the most hated book in the entire world. And this is the Deep End Podcast, where we talk about the Bible in modern day language. And so this year, we're going through the book of Revelation, the most requested book to be studied by Christians in America, and the least desired to be taught by pastors in America. On the Deep End Podcast, we dive deep into to the Bible to help you know what God has to say through this book. Thank you for joining us. This is The Deep End. Okay, it's Wednesday and it is noon and you are here on Facebook Live or YouTube Live with us and I'm so glad that you are. Let us know in the comments where you're watching from. Comments on YouTube, comments on Facebook. So glad that you are here. I am your host, Tim Hatch, and this is The Deep End Podcast where we talk about the book of Revelation here in Season 2, Episode 21. And joining me on the couch over here is Chris McEwen, Director of Pastoral Care at Waters Church. Hello, Chris. Hello, Pastor Tim. Welcome in. Thank you, sir. Uh, so, 666 today. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the Antichrist. Oh, great. I, I, know, I know people want to know who he is. So. You're coming out. You're going to tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to tell you who he is. No, we're not going to tell you who he is. That, that, was, that was clickbait right there. Mm. Uh, hopefully you clicked and stayed long enough to hear this. But stay a little longer because we got a lot to talk about. Revelation chapter 13. Uh, we will, though, tell you what 666 is all about. So if you've ever wondered, how, what does that mean? Who's it referring to? I got an answer for you. I got an answer for you. It's at the end of the podcast. So you're going to have to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, good. That's how we do things. And you should. Stay tuned, should get all the, the information, and then find out. That's right. Form your own conclusion. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready. I'm yeah. listening. Let's go to... Well, we don't have to do that now. We'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> Let's get into... Well, I'm going to tune in the whole time. We have some going news, on? though, right? Yes, we got news. What's there's going on? There's a lot going on. I don't know what you want to talk about. We'll, I'll throw a couple things at you, and we'll yeah, see. Yeah, let's talk. So there's the United Methodist Church. Have you heard about them um, talking about a split, a big yeah. split that they want to do over the LGBT? Mm. Um, so right now, they're talking about that. I don't know if we yeah, want to talk yeah, about LGBT that. Yeah, LGBT, and then... yeah. The, so there's conservative United Methodist Churches, right. and then there's uh, more liberal progressive United Methodist right. churches, and now they don't know how to get along. And they might even have three in their split, is what I read. They really? might have a middle ground too, which you know I'm yeah. not sure what they'll. There was be a doing, big con. There was a big conference, a big United Methodist yep. conference. I think it was about two months ago. Oh, right. And I think if I heard the news correctly, the traditionalists, the people who want to continue to define marriages between man and woman, uh, won. Right, by the it vote. was like four hundred something or three hundred something. And the sad part, though, mm-hmm. is that it was only because of the African United Methodists um, that the vote went that direction. I think it was uh, the the Philippines Church and the South African churches. Yeah, that well, the African, the North African, North churches African, too, okay, or sub-Saharan African, but the ones outside of America. Basically, yeah, the ones outside of the West, which yeah. we have been talking about in this podcast again and again and again, is like Christianity yeah. in the West is dying, but Christianity in the East and Sub-Saharan African continent is flourishing. growing, flourishing, yeah. again and again. And so it's like the <laughs> poor United Methodist Church to get this denomination that has appealed to Westernized secular culture by by denying key components of the faith. Right. Of you course. know that's the that's the temptation in every church is how much do we. Um, how much do we compromise to make sure that we're still relevant? And so the the American United Methodist Church, by and large, has mm-hmm. compromised on marriage, right. on um, the atonement, on, mm-hmm. in some cases, in some churches, the deity of Christ. Right. Uh, I actually went to a class at Duke University. This is a Duke Theological uh, Seminary, actually. And okay. uh, I just saw, like, this was a few years ago, and it, I saw the rumblings. You know, I could see it and see hear it happening. Yeah, just coming, with, yeah. Their, with the, how they were conversating around this issue. Very sure. contentious. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of contention between the Americans who feel like the Africans got to get with it. And then wow. there was a great African bishop in the United Methodist Church who said, you know, we are not children who need to be instructed by our Western brothers oh, that's good. On, yeah. <laughs> on what makes a marriage, Yeah, uh, which was really um, nice, powerful to hear. You know, here we have a guy who is in the throes of a persecution area. Yeah. You know, they're not 
going to church easily. They're being, you know, uh, surrounded by their enemies on all sides, and they have to hold to the traditions of the church. They have to hold to the Bible. When that's the case, it tends to create a more purified church. But when you have Christianity where it's easy, it tends to become a more culturally accommodating church. That's our temptation even to this day in America. How much are we going to compromise for the sake of popularity? And it's never good for the church to compromise for the sake of popularity because uh, compromise doesn't win the day. And and it never works as far as, you know, from our human standpoint, those churches usually, as you always say, they die out, they fade once they they start compromising. Yeah, they do. And they are all over over America. Yeah, hold on to the truth and let God, you know, figure the rest out. Yeah. I mean, I think there are still some good Bible-based... gospel-centered United Methodist churches, but this is the problem with denominationalism is that they hold on to this thing and it's like, oh, all it is is a nomenclature, you know? It's just, this is what our, that's what we call ourselves, but it's not really... Um, is it really... Like, you have to ask yourself if you're one of those denominational churches, are you attached to Christ or are you attached to the denomination? Right, right. And that, right there, that's the key issue. Yeah, that's why I love being part of a non-denominational church on purpose. Yeah, but let's be careful that that doesn't become... It could, sure. You know, the sure. temptation of, uh, oh, well, I go to a non-denom, so I'm really Christian, you yeah. know? <laughs> but this no, is always what does it mean? I mean, I get calls all the time. I had two mm. today. What is your statement oh, of really? faith? What is your statement of faith? Yeah. Facebook and two phone calls. Really? Know? And I know it was people that were here for, you know, Easter, Easter which was great. But I just explained to them, you know... We're a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, you know, church that tries to attract people for the gospel. Yeah. We don't purposely put a statement of faith up there yeah. because usually people that want those are Christians from other do- usually, denominations. Usually you know? that's the case. It is Christians from other denominations. But now. I always say, if you have a specific question, just let me know yeah, and ask. I'll answer it. Yeah. But, you know, usually And you can ask away it. on the Deep End podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that's always 508-316-9333. There we go. So we could put that up on the screen, too. But... So what else you got for news? So local news. And I'm excited about this because I've been having to drive far to different grocery stores and okay. the lines have been crazy Stop and they've and been shop. busy. Yeah. Stop and shop is back in action. The, the strike is over. All right. So that's a good thing. A couple of good things, I guess, that happened through there. They were donating all that, all that food, all the perishable stuff that they couldn't keep or store was donated to local food pantries oh, that's and good. things like that, which are really good. But one thing that surprised me when I read what they were fighting over, you know, their minimum, minimum wage and their extra hours and their health care, they were fighting for time and a half on Sundays. Mm. And that's just, I remember when I was a kid growing up in this area, liquor stores were closed on right. Sundays. You know? Everything was closed. Everything was closed mm-hmm. on Sundays. And now it's like that isn't the case anymore. No. It's just another day, Sunday. Yeah. So they're probably thinking, if I'm stopping shop, why would we give time and a half Sundays just like Mondays? It's a normal so day now. We? This is, yeah, the secularization of our age. is exactly. there's there's, uh, <laughs> there's consequences that we don't. Uh, foresee until they're here, and that's a good a good case. Like, oh well, Sunday's just like Monday now, so right. why should we pay you more to be there on Sunday? But for whatever reason, the union won out. They and did they win. Get their time and, time half and a half on Sunday. Would so. be nice if they got uh, Sunday off, like Chick Fil A. But they'd have to work for Chick Fil A or Hobby Lobby. <laughs> or Hobby yeah, Lobby, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And those companies both are doing extraordinarily well. Maybe that's why Stop and Shop said, okay, maybe we'll yeah, just do this. Maybe who knows. Uh, but that's uh, that's good news. That is good news. I so thought we'd good. end with some good news. All you stop and shop workers, we appreciate you. We do. And uh, we still love Shaw's and Market Basket, but the lines there have been crazy. <laughs> have they been? Oh, uh, Shaw's over here right around our building. It's been See, you're hectic. a single man. You know this stuff. Well, I don't yeah, know this Because I don't go. The, well, one, I grocery shop, yes. And I do it like every other day because I, I don't go once a week <laughs> yeah, or you once don't, a month. I you go, don't foresee the meals. No, I go before need. I yeah. go for need. <laughs> that's know, what I used to do daily. as a single man. Yeah. I, down in uh, my college. Down the street, there was a, a grocery store called Acme. This is in Pennsylvania. Acme. I don't know if you remember this, Michael. Did you remember Acme? It wasn't there. Well, I used to go there. I used to get a week's worth of dorm food uh, for like fifteen dollars. What's dorm food? Define dorm. Ramen food. noodles. Okay. And like frozen <laughs> burritos. Yeah. Uh, no, frozen burritos were way too expensive for me. <laughs> it dollars. was ramen noodles, and I forget this cheap, nasty, gross medicine-tasting soda. Uh, but it was like a dollar for like twelve uh, two-liter bottles. Okay. You know? <laughs> so that's what I used to purple consume. drink. Yeah. I was, you know, I was a big into athletics, and I had to keep my <coughs> temple clean. So, mm, <laughs> yeah, purple. All right. 
Anyway, uh, <laughs> anything else in the news? Uh, with this other th- well, the big cathedral was burned yes, down. Yes, Notre Dame. I mean, that we is did not have surprising. the deep end last week, so we couldn't talk about that. Yeah, I mean, that happened last week. Now, did you see surprised. the riots in France? The riots in France break out. Why? The yellow vest ones? The yellow vest yeah. riots because the suddenly the billionaires come out of the woodwork to donate up to, I think, $700 million to rebuild Notre Dame as quickly as possible. Notre Dame Cathedral, or we should call it Notre Dame. Right, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Right, uh, to rebuild a $700 million. Right. Suddenly, out of nowhere, these millionaires are like, here you go, here's $200 million. And <laughs> the guys like Louis Vuitton, uh, L'Oreal, these, you know, French Big name, uh, yeah, yeah. companies. And so the people, the, the lower middle class people are like, what the heck? <laughs> you have that much money to just kind of like throw at something that quickly? Yeah, how about uh, us? Income inequality. And so now there's there was riots. I don't know if they're still going on, but there was riots there. Yeah. And I always say, look at look at Europe, American Christian. You want to know where America's going? Just look at Europe because that's the future. That's where we are almost in New England. But the rest of America is going to kind of get in that direction. Yeah, that's scary. Very scary. But uh, nonetheless, it's why we talk about the book of Revelation and why we talk about it on the podcast and why this, uh, this season of the Deep End Pod- Podcast is so important. So let's go to it. What, has happened bef- what is happening now has happened before. We find that out here through the book of Revelation. Okay. All right. The book of Revelation. Now, uh, we're going to have to go right from this bumper, guys, to uh, the whiteboard. So let's head over to the whiteboard, shall we? The whiteboard. The whiteboard. <laughs> okay, Chris. Yeah. I'm at the whiteboard, and I have a question here. Uh-oh. Oh, I see it. See when, the question? When are the last days? When are the last days? You want me to answer? Yes. We're in them. We're in them. Yes. But are we in them? Well, let me ask you this okay. question then. <laughs> How long have we been in them? Ooh, uh, for the last 2,000 years. Ooh, That's bingo. That's my answer. Okay, what very good. What is 2,000 years? Yes, for the last 2,000 years. You see on my little timeline here. I've been watching all year, so I know. I know, yeah. you know, right? So we have, like, if I was to say, here's uh, Abraham. We'll, we'll put Abraham over here. You know, back in those days, guys wore a robe. Uh, and then we would have the two tablets of stone. He, this symbolizes Moses. Uh, and then we would have Israel. Uh, which is symbolized by the uh, two triangles, if you will. Uh, King David, uh, the zenith of uh, power for Israel, and then the Babylonian captivity, which is 70 years, and eventually they come back in about 400 or so BC, I think, I'm sorry, about 500 BC, Mm. uh, through the decree of Cyrus. Uh, And then uh, 400 years of silence, uh, followed by the arrival of who? John the Baptist who I call him the, for obviously not I, but the Bible calls him the right. forerunner of Christ. Uh, and then that leads to the cross. Sorry, John the Baptist should be over here. Sorry. Then Christ, uh, the empty grave, and then the church age. And so, so many times, though, we get confused about Revelation. This is why I ask that question. Because we are not aware of what the Bible actually says concerning the last days. The Bible says we are in the last days, and this is... Under the apostolic age, so I would call this, you know, the the age of the apostles. Uh, This is when the apostles are writing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Uh, The book of Revelation is probably later on in the apostolic age. But nonetheless, in the age of the apostles, in 1st John, actually, we have the last days are mentioned as now. Mm. Here's why people get confused with the book of Revelation, because they do this with the last days. Are you ready? They say the last days are the last seven years of Christian, or I'm sorry, world history. And so, again, traditional evangelical teaching, the tribulation is the last seven years, divided in half, 3.5, the tribula- just the regular tribulation, and then uh, 3.5 years becomes the great tribulation, and many people call this the last days, or the time frame leading up to that, just just after, just after, I guess you would say, uh, in many uh, dispensational circles, for lack of a better term, uh, 1948. Because what happened in 1948? Uh, Israel. Israel. Israel becomes a nation again. So it's back over here, restored back to prominence or you know, freedom or the land or whatever you want to call it here in 1948, and this starts to unleash a reinterpretation of the scriptures 
wherein the last days become uh, either this period leading right up to the rapture and the church going to heaven and then the tribulation. And there are some views that say the rapture actually happens halfway through the tribulation. I've talked about in this podcast that I don't believe in a secret rapture of the church. I just don't see it in the text. So uh, tribulation in Revelation has been talking about uh, one of four views, like we've been saying all along, uh, either the 8070 uh, view, which is the Preterist view, the historical view, which is the span of time between the first coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, that's the historicist view, uh, the futurist view, which says this is the tribulation, so that's the futurist view, and the spiritualist view, which says, no, 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 we're just talking about principles uh, throughout history, sorry, that was a bad, that was a bad that was a bad, what do you call it, bracket there. You can make up for it. <laughs> Spiritualist view, which says broad spectrum, uh, spiritualized view of how to interpret uh, the times in which the church lives, no matter where it is. Now, it is imperative that you read your Bible because the Bible says we're in the last days as of right here. As soon as Christ goes to heaven, boom, last days. Right. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years, and when you relegate the last days to just this portion... Uh, you get to skip a lot of the book of Revelation. That's not good for you because Revelation is for you. Revelation chapter one, Jesus says, I want you to write this down for my servants. I want my servants to know. His servants do not only live here, they live all through this portion of human history. And so it's very important that you get that view of what their last days are. And secondly, who the Antichrist is. So let's go back to the desk. Who's the Antichrist? Tell us. Yes, well, we're going to talk about that because there's, there's, a, there's a, a lot of confusion about who the Antichrist is in church circles because we, again, relegate the Antichrist to a single person. And somehow we have conflated the idea of an Antichrist person right. with one of the beasts mentioned here in Revelation chapter 13. So okay. we've got to get into this. A quick recap, very important that we keep going back to this. Two episodes ago, talked about it. The four forces that are going to come against the church during the church age, the last days. The book of Revelation pauses from the uh, seven seal judgments and the seven trumpet judgments. And between the seven trumpet judgments and the seven bowl judgments, which are coming, is a, is a pause, an interlude that unpacks for God's people the four forces that they should expect to come against them in the church age. Number one, Satan. He is the originator of all false doctrines about God. Number two, the beast from the sea, which we will talk about today. Right. Secondly, the false prophet, who is, I call him, the alluring spiritual leader of the age. And then fourthly and finally, Babylon, which I call the corrupting whore of indulgence and luxury. And uh, we'll talk about Babylon in a future episode. But today, we are finally going to talk about these second and third forces that are going to come against your faith, Christian. Very imperative that you are aware of what Revelation has to say about the first and second beast because they are a picture of the spiritual fight, the spiritual enemy that you face, not just Satan, which we talked about in the last episode. Right. But the next, these next two beasts that are unpacked and inspired and led and given authority by Satan, which means they are given authority on the earth and persecute God's people. These are so important for you to understand. They are real spiritual forces. And listen to me very carefully. That have been at work in the world since Jesus ascended to the Father. Nothing okay. new. Yeah. No, yes, nothing new. Like, don't wait for these two to show up. So it's not at the Trump. tribulation. It, it, Trump, yeah. it, it, it's not Trump. It's not Trump. I just <laughs> I want to know. Well, it's, let's talk you know. about them, and then you can make a determination okay. as to whether he is Because I have my not. theories. But yeah. That's me. So the first and second beast, Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. Let me read it, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 1, Revelation 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave power, his power, and his throne, and great authority. 
So there's Satan giving his power, authority, and throne to the first beast. One of its heads seemed to have had a mortal wound, but its wound, mortal wound, was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Okay, this chapter introduces us to the first of two beasts, and these two beasts will be the deceptive powers of the age, spiritual and political. Spiritual and political. And these two powers will turn God's people, will turn, I'm sorry, will turn on God's people and will attack and kill many of God's people throughout history. I have a little equation for you, and it's going to be up on the screen. And here's what the beasts represent, okay? Very important that you get this. Uh, the beasts represent political power plus spiritual experience plus financial security. Add them together, and you get what I call the seduction of the world. Mm. Let me say those again. Political power. And more than ever before, and I've said this again and again on the podcast, imperative that you catch this. More and more than ever, political power has become almost religious. Yeah. It has become, yes, it has become cultish. Yeah. You know. We turn on each other. You think about this. This I was having this thought while I was preparing this talk. People lose family and friends when they come to Christ, right? Yeah, I know where you're going. That's good. Yeah. 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 They lose family and friends because they become a Christian. Guess what? Yeah. People lose family and friends when the wrong president gets elected All the time or their now. their choice doesn't get elected or whatever. And it's been more than ever before. Yeah, they're arguing on Facebook over, you know, left, people, right, CNN or People Fox. losing friends over. Yeah. Like you don't talk I hear of this that Parents don't talk to children. Children don't talk to each other. Cousins don't talk to cousins. Christian mm. brothers and sisters don't talk to each other because of the politics of our nation. What's the saying? You don't talk politics or religion at the dinner table? Is, yeah, that's been know? thrown out the window. Right. Right now it's like we don't even have you over for dinner if we uh, don't agree with you. That's true, yeah. <laughs> but political power. And now notice this, though. This is what the false prophet brings. The second beast brings spiritual experience. So you don't just have the political power appeal. You have the spiritual experience appeal in our world today. And there is a movement away from Christianity. And and like G.K. Chesterton said, when men do not believe in God, they do not believe in nothing. They believe in anything. Mm -hmm. And so you have people believing in anything. Over 800 religions have started since World War II in the West. And you have more spiritualist, more spiritism, all that kind of stuff. We talked about this before. And then financial security. So here's where the rubber hits the road. Like people really don't care that much about political power. Let's be honest. Political power is nothing to people except when it comes down to their financial security. Yeah, when it hits them in the pocketbook. And this is why young people love the idea of socialism and, and liberal mm. economic policies. Give me free stuff because that makes me feel financially secure. And how dare those people, the, 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 the yellow vest riots right. in France, how dare those rich people keep us down. And then you have the political powers that come to, come to the rescue. I will help you. I will save you. I will keep you secure. I will help you and make you financially safe. Uh, and then we get into our little cultish kind of philosophical or political uh, segmented societies. Uh, this is where we are. And this is why Revelation chapter 13 is so important. Verse 4, it says they worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they worship the beast. Like the worship is a spiritual term. What Revelation is saying is the world is going to become very spiritual about political affiliation. And it's happening. And it's happening. Yeah. And this is the seduction of the world. Now, let's talk about the word beast, because this is what the scriptures actually refer to when it's talking about the political powers of the age and the spiritual powers, the false Christ, if you will, of the age. The name the scriptures give it is beast. And this is very important because a beast is an untamed animal that you do not want to touch. Like, think about this. Um, we were in Guatemala. I took a picture of, remember the lion? Oh, yeah. It was in the cage. Oh, yeah. I took this picture. I, I actually stuck, I stuck my in the phone. Cage. No, I wasn't in the cage. <laughs> but I, I stuck my phone in the cage yeah. with my hand. And then as soon as I stuck my phone, my hand in the cage with the phone, he looked up at me. I forget what his name was. What's his name? I don't you remember? remember. Let's call him Tony. Okay. Uh, Tony the Tiger. Simba, and Tony the <laughs> <laughs> They're great. Okay. And I stuck my phone in, and he looked up at me, and I stuck my phone right out. And yeah, I, took I would right too. And then this picture on the right is a picture of a, a uh, warthog, which I saw in um, uh, Kenya. 
And uh, we were at this place where you ate, and the and the wild animals they allowed them to come right up to the area where you wow, ate. I was crazy. literally like three feet away from, well, not three, like thirteen feet away okay. from this warthog. But you know, I wouldn't get any closer than that. Those things could do some damage to it was you. A wild beast. You. It's I, a wild yeah. beast. Here's what I want to say about beasts, and it's so important that you hear this. Beasts are attractive. They are. Like the tiger is a beautiful animal. Yeah, the lion think. is a beautiful animal. Yeah. The warthog is a cool animal. And you see these wild beasts in their wild habitat or in cages. And you wish, like I remember seeing that tiger. I was like, I wish I could pet it. That's good, yeah. I wish I could touch yeah. it. But how many know? Even reaching out to touch it, uh-huh. hand gone or life gone. Yeah. And this is what the scripture used. This is the term the scripture in Revelation uses to refer to the political power and the spiritual seduction of our age. Point being, it's seductive, it's attractive, and if you reach out and you try to grab it, it's like asking to die. It's like asking to die. Mm. And this is what Revelation 13 is going to tell us, okay? They worshiped the beast. They worshiped him. They served him. Then they said, who is like the beast? In other words, he's unstoppable. You can't stop the political power. This is why the Methodists... Right. are caving on social issues because they say to themselves, we can't stop this. Right. We can't stop the LGBT movement. We have to embrace it. Or uh, whatever political affiliation your particular denomination aligns with based on the maybe the income inequality problem of our country, maybe the racial uh, problems of our country. There are still to this day black churches and white churches, Hispanic churches and Asian churches. It has sadly been said and sadly proven true that the most segregated hour of the week in America is noon on Sunday yeah. when everybody goes to their little you know, cultural enclave church. I thank God that our church reflects a much more multiculturalism than so much. the community in which we live. Yeah. But that's just a, our church is an outlier. Our churches like ours are an outlier. You, you know, this is the, the problem with Christianity is we look a lot like the church and we look a lot like, um, look a lot like the world and we look a lot like the world in these little cultural enclaves. Mm. And this is um, the allure, the, the, uh, this is the, the allure of the churches. Well, we now, because we're a black church, we have to kind of cater to black politics. Or because we're our white church, and particularly a suburban white church, we have to cater to those more right-wing, you know, kind of uh, fiscally conservative people. And this is the problem. I was talking to a black minister, and I said, listen, you got to tell me something. Why do you guys, because this doesn't happen in our church, but I right. said, why do black churches constantly have Democratic politicians preaching in their pulpits? Because I don't see... As often, I do see it, but not as often, uh, white churches hosting Republican politicians in their pulpits. And he said, it's because the pastors, and this is the black minister talking to me. He said, it's because the pastors know that they have to cater to that. And I said, that's not standing for, that's not leadership. And he says, I know, that's the problem. And wherever you have a church that caters to a political alignment, instead of the gospel of Christ, you have a pastor who does not lead. You have a church that does not stand for Mm -hmm. truth. You have someone who caters more to the power of the beast, ladies and gentlemen, than the power of Christ. This is why you got to read Revelation, because Revelation teaches you about this. And it helps you and protects you uh, from it. Okay, let's go through the details of the first beast. I already read verses one through four, so let's go over the the details. Uh, Number one, blasphemous names on its horns. He's got seven heads, ten horns, and ten diadems. Now, blasphemy is going to become a key term in this chapter. Blasphemy is basically just, in the New Testament, blasphemy is one of two things. Number one, it is calling the work of uh, God the work of Satan. Remember, Jesus says that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. He said, this yeah. is the worst sin you can commit. What's well, the only unforgivable sin? Unforgivable right? sin. Because yeah. what it is saying is the work of God is actually a work of Satan. You are giving Satan uh, the credit for God's work. Yeah. And that's what they said about Jesus. He said, you'll never be forgiven for that. Mm-hmm. Secondly, blasphemy is claiming to be God and not being God. This is the accusation against Jesus at his trial. He claimed to be God, and so they put him to death. That's why they crucified him, right? So blasphemy is a big deal in this chapter, and you're going to see why as we go uh, go through the views. So back to how we were going through the book of Revelation, the four views, historicist, preterist, pre-70 AD, futurist, the last seven years, and spiritualist. Let's go through them. Number one, the historicist. The historicist sees the first beast as the secular Roman Empire. 
and secular is a keyword. Rome is famously referred to in history as the city on seven hills. So right here, beast rising out of the sea with, with ten horns and seven heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second beast, which we will get to at the end of Revelation 13, is the Holy Roman Empire, according to the historicists. Right. So let me just say something for our Catholic friends and followers, okay? Mm-hmm. Those of you who might still be Catholics. Oh when I share things that the historicist believes about the Catholic Church, please don't shoot the messenger. I didn't come up with this stuff. This is the historicist's view. You can reject it if you want. I'm just saying there's compelling. There's a compelling nature to its view, sure. and it's not good for the Catholic Church. And I just want to warn you. But stay with me. I am not against Catholics, and I don't hate Catholics, and I don't think you know the Catholics. All Catholics are apostate and all that. Kind of, that's not me. That's not the kind of minister I'm. I'm just going to present to you their view. They see the mortal wound is a, is a very important verse here, verse three. The historian says the mortal wound is the death of Julian the apostate, the apostate who was the final Roman Empire emperor who tried to uh, in, legislate uh, the pagan uh, re- religions of Rome before Christianity came. Okay, Christianity was winning the day in the early three hundreds A.D. and Julian the apostate comes to become the emperor and he hates Christianity and so he tries to reinstitute all the pagan practices and kind of legitimize them and he tra- he lets out all the um the apostate priests out of prison and he tries to like kind of cause confusion in the Christian church well he doesn't win he doesn't win because the Christians are real Christians and they're winning the argument the cultural argument how are they winning it by the way they're winning it Rodney Stark talks about this in his book uh they're winning it by caring for the poor, the least of these, he, uh, helping those who are dying of the plague, bringing them into their homes, loving one another genuinely, creating communities of peace, love, harmony through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ and faith in the gospel. All those things are changing the world and it can't be stopped. But Julian wants to stop it. He tries to. He doesn't win because the Galileans, he calls them the, he calls them the wretched Galileans because Jesus was from Galilee. Right. He can't win because they're just, they just care too much. They love too much. They share too much. And the pagans don't share anything. They're just selfish, right? So he loses and he, he dies. And that's called, they, their historicists say that's the mortal wound. And then the healing of the wound, this is interesting. The healing of the wound is the reinstitution of those pagan practices in the Roman world, but not in the Roman pagan world, but actually in the Roman Catholic world. Yep. Man. And this happens under the reign of Charlemagne. Charlemagne in 745, something around there, right? So that's what they say. Now, the interesting, about, interesting thing about Charlemagne is that he was the first emperor, and this is, this is kind of cool. He was the first emperor who tried to unify all of Europe, what we now know as Europe. He actually was the first one to kind of unify it all together under one head, but he didn't live long enough to see it like really established. It ended up being handed off to his son, who broke it up into three sections. But he actually is the inspiration behind Napoleon Bonaparte and Adolf Hitler, really? who both had designs on unifying Europe into sure. one whole. Uh, and it's just interesting that they get their inspiration from Charlemagne, who instituted pagan practices into the Roman church. Interesting. Uh, just very interesting view there. The Preterists. Let's go to the Preterists. Remember, pre-AD 70. This is the, 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 the beast is a picture of the Gentile nations producing um, uh, a Roman emperor named Nero. Uh, Nero, who reigned at the time of Revelation's writings, was a hideous Roman emperor, emperor for the Christians. He... Uh, he viciously persecuted Christians. He's the one that um, lit up his courtyard with Christians burning on the stakes, yeah. uh, threw them to the lions in the Colosseum. He is one of the worst uh, emperors in human history for Christians. It's interesting. Uh, it says that he has a lion's mouth here in verse 2. It's interesting that Paul was discussing his release from prison in 2 Timothy 4.17, and he says, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Oh, wow. Uh, so, and, and by the way, uh, Paul died. Um, under the reign of Nero. Nero wow. he was, uh, his head was cut off under the reign of Nero. The mortal wound refers to the death of Nero, but the survival of the Roman Empire, because there, after Nero dies, there's a tumultuous year of civil unrest in Rome. But then uh, another emperor, Vesapian, comes to the throne, and he uh, brings back the Roman Empire strong, and then you know Roman Empire persecution upon Christians is reinstituted. So they see the mortal wound as like a figure of speech for Nero's death, but then the Roman Empire continuing and per- persecuting Christians. Now the futurist, very simple. The futurist says this is a world dictator. The beast out of the sea is a world dictator that comes out of Europe. Again, remember Charlemagne, the inspiration behind 
the unification of Europe for Napoleon Bonaparte and Adolf Hitler. Mm. And so they see actually kind of align with the historicist view here is that Europe is going to have a charismatic leader that will be a politically savvy person that we've never seen before. Some of this like got the political charisma of Bill Clinton, I guess you would say. You know, I think Bill Clinton, you know, regardless of how you see his views, is one of the greatest politicians this country's ever seen. He just he could win almost anybody over to his argument. But they say there's this guy is going to come out of Europe and he's going to be a charismatic leader and this lines up with 2 Corinthians a uh, second Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writes that no one deceive you second Thessalonians 2:3. Let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4. So this is a European leader who aligns 10 European nations, 10 horns, into one, and he becomes kind of a dictator. Now, the problem with this view, as, as, as compelling as it is, the problem with this view is the European Union, which a lot of people say this is the 10 nations, has never been 10 nations. Okay. And not even at its inception. I think at its inception, it was 12 nations. It has swelled, I think, up to 36 nations. Now it's 28 nations. And depending on what Britain does, it's going to be 27 nations pretty soon. So the, the idea that these 10 horns represent the 10 European nations kind of fails on the merits there, historically speaking. Mm. But what is interesting is seven heads are mentioned in verse one and the seven heads could refer to, and this is how the future sees it. The seven heads refer to the seven ages of the European uh, world. Uh, there's seven, seven periods. I'll just run through them for you. There's the Imperial Restoration under Justinian in 554 AD, the Frankish Kingdom under Charlemagne in 774 AD, the German Kingdom, Otto the Great, the Habsburg Dynasty, Charles V, the French Kingdom under Napoleon, the German-Italian Axis, this is uh, Garibaldi, Hitler, and Mussolini up until 1945, and then the European Union, 1993 to the present. And the healed wound... The healed wound here, very important mortal wound that you just noticed that in verse 3, refers to that this dictator will be assassinated mm -hmm. and, and the false prophet will revive him right. from his assassination. Somehow come back. To Somehow life. he will come back to life. Yeah. What do we have there? We have a fake resurrection. Mm -hmm. We have a false re resurrection or an anti-Christ re right. resurrection. So basically what you see here is that what Satan is doing is he is imitating the gospel with his own version of the gospel, yeah. but through political powers, uh, persecution of the saints, um, and again, we'll get to more of it later, the elimination of money, the, consumer, the computerization of the economy, the unification of banks and countries. There's a lot to be said about the future's view here. Again, I am of the opinion that you can take the historicist view, the spiritualist view, and the futurist view as all being valid sure. in that history repeats itself. History repeats itself in the Bible. It also repeats itself since the uh, gospel has been announced. So there's no problem with me saying, yeah, this happened in the historicist view, but it's also going to happen in a more intensified version in the last seven years of human history. Right. Like, I don't have a problem yeah. with that. If that's your word. Could it happen, this, will happen, is happening. Yeah. It's going to happen. And that's what Revelation is. It's what has been, what is, and what will be. Right. Right. So the, the spiritualist view says the first beast is an incarnation of the political socio-evil of any governmental system that persecutes Christians wherever it is. Now, we just heard about this last week in our, in our, our sincere prayers oh. are offered to the people of Sri Lanka. Yeah. The Christians. Easter, right? Yes. Not Easter worshipers, but Christians. <laughs> well, it happened on Easter is what it meant. <laughs> no, I don't know anybody who worships Easter. <laughs> no, I meant it happened on Easter. No, 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 no. Easter, it did sorry. happen on Easter, but the big thing was the, the, the word Easter worshipers. This oh, is like the, okay. the, 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 the name that they gave to Christians. The right. Easter worshiper. Yeah. Who the heck worships Easter? No. We worship Christ. Yeah. You heard about this, Michael, yes? Yeah, yeah, all, all the uh, progressive politicians they say out there. Easter worshippers. Anything, yeah. please. It's like they all got into a closed room and said, "Please don't say Christians. Call them Easter worshippers." Wow. Okay, everybody yeah. disperse. Like that's what it felt like. Anyway, our <laughs> Christian brothers and sisters yeah. who perished last weekend on Easter Sunday. Over three hundred, right? Yeah, uh, somewhere around that. I don't a know. Couple suicide bombers. Yes. The thing that you have to understand, Christian, is you live in a culture where you are convinced that the most hated group on planet Earth right now are who? Like, who, who do you, like, if you just watch the news and movies, 
Who's the most persecuted group in the world right now? Christians? No, I don't get that. Not from movies and news. No, no way. Movie? Oh. No, 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 no. Oh, uh, Muslims. Yeah, Muslims, Muslims. Or, or gays. Well, gays, yeah. Or, well, uh, they're the ones that are most celebrated, but it's it, downplayed. Yeah, maybe even immigrants. Be, like, even immigrants yeah. like, are so hate. Well, okay, listen. Count the stats. Check the stats, friends. Because there is no matching the number of Christians yeah. who are killed for their faith every year. Every year. Yeah. Across the world. It is Christians who by who far and away outnumber uh, persecution experiences than any other people group on the face of the earth. Now you hear nothing about this in the news. True. You hear nothing about this in social media because people don't know that there's a again there is a socio political power at work. There is a beast at work that is manipulating even the news that you get. Even the news that you hear is getting manipulated so that you think, oh, Christians have it easy in this world. Mm-hmm. Well, Christians have it easy in America. Yeah, I'll, I'll grant you that. I'll be the first to confess that. I'm a Christian in America. It's pretty easy. But across the world, they do not have it easy. No. They are slaughtered for their faith. Up to 2019, just in 2019, four months in, 4,000 Christians have been killed for their faith. Four months into this year. Wow. All right? 1,200 churches have been attacked or destroyed mm. in, this, in the first four months of our in 2019, 2,600 Christians have been detained and imprisoned without trial so far in 2019. We are four months in. Um, estimates are one in nine Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. By the way, where do they experience it the most? I hate to say this, not politically correct, but it's true. Where Islam is the state religion. Yeah. Christians experience the greatest amount of persecution. In eight of the top 10 countries reporting Christian persecution, eight of those top 10 countries are Islamic nations. And you've got to be aware of this Mm -hmm. because if you just listen to the news, if you just listen to social media, you will just follow the crowd. You will just listen to the beasts of this earth. And you have to understand that there is a spiritual force and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms that is anti-Christian and hates the gospel and hates God's people and is going to come after us. Now, our response is not retribution right. or violence. It never is. It never must be. It never will be. Our response is patient endurance, as it's going to say in Revelation chapter 15, uh, 13. Okay, so let's go forward, because here we have the rest of the story on the uh, first beast. Verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. Again, blasphemy, keyword. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, time frame, 42 months. It opened his mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blasphemies, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven, blaspheming his church, those, those who lives in heaven, the church. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, Ephesians 1. Uh, uh, verse 7. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. So Christians dying for their faith, predicted mm-hmm. in the book of Revelation. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. Okay, so let's talk about this passage because of the second half of the passage on the first beat. Uh, the historicists, again, bad news, Catholics. Bad news. Blasphemous words are mentioned here by the beast. Uh, this, they, historicists interpret this to be the statements of many of the popes of the Catholic Church and what they have actually claimed about themselves throughout history. Mm-hmm. This isn't bad stuff. Yeah. In June 20, 1894, Pope Leo XIII claimed, we hold the place of Almighty God on earth. That's a direct quote. Mm. His successor, Pius X, likewise boasted, the Pope is Jesus Christ himself, hidden under the veil of flesh. That's a direct quote. On April 30th, 1922, Pope Pius XI said, you know that I am the Holy Father, the representative of God on earth, the vicar of Christ, which means that I am God on the earth. Claiming to be God. Blasphemy. Yeah. Right? That's why I said blasphemy is a key word. Well, this is how the historicist <laughs> interprets that. Now, Catholics, I get it. You don't believe that stuff. I get it. You don't think that's those popes were off their rocker. It doesn't eliminate the fact that they said it and they made those claims. And this is a historical fact. I did not pick this up out of nowhere. I looked this up for myself. You can find it yourself. It's very it's out there. So all, all over the internet. You can look it up. I got it from a book, but you can get it from the internet. 
Then it says 42 months this will happen. Well, historicists see this, again, the Catholic Church, as from Emperor Justinian declaring that the bishop from Rome was the head of the church in 533 AD 2, the French Revolution, which is the fall of the Pope papal power in the West in 1793. That's uh, 1,200 years or so, 42 months if you take the day per year interpretation, 1,260 days, 1,260 years. That's about the time frame. Then it says, War on the Saints, the persecution of the Roman Church and its descendants uh, during the Middle Ages and the Reformation are rampant. The Catholic Church has a long and bloody history of persecuting people who disagreed with them. Sure. Again, this is not saying anything negative about Catholics today. So just bear in mind, I'm just talking about history. Uh, for instance, a couple of examples. The Spanish Inquisition mm-hmm. burned alive 31,000, I'm sorry, yes, 31,912 uh, Protestant Christians and tortured 300,000 of them between the years 1481 and 1808. Wow. Yikes. 50,000 German Protestants were hanged, burned, or buried alive by Emperor Charles V in 1546, a Catholic emperor. (laughs) The Irish Roman Catholics mercilessly martyred 40,000 Protestants in 1641. The Huguenots were so persecuted by the French dragoons in the late 1600s that upwards of one half million left the country for other areas of of safety in the world. This is in in the 1600s. Uh, There's a long history of Catholic persecution upon people who are not Catholic. Sad history. Doesn't mean the Protestants were any better. There's a lot of Protestants that did a lot of damage to each other as well, and to Catholics. And All you got to do is look at the island of Ireland, and you can see all the hate one for the other there. But uh, the Preterist view of this beast, again, is that the Roman Empire is the beast, and unbelieving Jews worship the emperor uh, as uh, God, and uh, they also assisted the emperor in handing over Jewish believers to Nero's persecution. And by the way, Nero's persecution did last for a full 42 months, almost exactly. So the Preterist wow. view. Yeah. Again, time, it repeats itself. It could apply to all four views could be valid, in my sure. opinion. The Futurists. Now, we've already talked about this. This is the second half of the tribulation, what we call the Great Tribulation, where the dictator beast will break his covenant with the nation of Israel halfway through, and he will turn on the Jews, and he will persecute them violently for 42 months, three and a half years. Uh, and there's a, there's a view that says this has to be the Jewish believers in the tribulation because when it, Revelation 13, 9, which we're about to read, says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear, it doesn't have the line that it had in the first three chapters of Revelation, what the Spirit says to the churches. So what the Spirit says to the churches is out in Revelation chapter 13. And so it's the, the, the argument is, so this is not the church. Churches have been raptured right. into heaven. This is the Jewish Christians who are evangelizing the earth during the tribulation. Mm-hmm. The spiritualist says this, basically sums it up real simple. Governments love to play God. Governments love to play God, and that is so true today. Governments love to claim they can solve all your problems, and you're heading into an election year, America. So here, listen up. You're heading into an election year where every politician who runs for president is going to promise you the world. He's going to promise you, or she is going to promise you, health, wealth, security, everything you ever need. You never have to worry about a single thing. All your needs will be met. I will take care of you. I will secure you. Listen, that stuff freaks me out. I I don't want a president taking care of me. I don't want a president making sure that my bed is made and that I have food on the table. That's my job. I take pride in doing that for yeah. myself. I don't need and I don't want. I get it. we got to help the disadvantaged, and we should, and there are social programs for that. But when a president starts talking about how he's going to take care of me, I get turned off. Yeah. And you should, too. If you're an able-bodied American, you should work for your own food. You should work for your own life. You should create your own life out of your own desires and live and not look to Washington, D.C. to meet all your stinking needs. For heaven's sakes, your mom and dad don't live with you anymore. Grow up, be an adult, adult it. You know, <laughs> get into adulting. It's very, it's very fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can have your own car. You can have your own bed. You know, you can do your own thing. And I think that uh, this is the problem, though, with governments. They love to play God. They love to act like they are going to supply all our needs. No, no. God supplies all your needs. And put your faith in him, not governments. Yeah. Because whenever you hand the government more power, the government has more power. <laughs> and funny how it works that way. Yeah. You know, Ronald Reagan famously said, a government that is able to promise you everything can also take it all away. Mm. And we have to be careful of that. Under Satan's influence, governments across the world, where the gospel is not proclaimed freely, under Satan's influence, governments have overreached and limited speech 
and limited the right to worship, not just for Christians, but for Hindus, Muslims, and Jews. Look at the research, check your history, this is what happens. So you've got to understand that government will always look like this. They will always play the, the I am able to take care of you. I will give you whatever you look for in God. This is not what you want, Christian. Your faith is in God and the power of his Holy Spirit, which comes into your body to help you succeed in life, in your job, in your workplace, in your family, in your marriage. You do not want to get to that point where you are relying on the government for everything. I totally get that we need social welfare programs for people with disabilities, with learning incapacities, with all kinds of other issues, for the elderly who can no longer work. I totally get it. We need the safety net for people who have horrible catastrophes. That is good and moral and right. But when we get to that point where we think the government should supply all our needs, we are letting the government become God in our lives. Yeah. That's a problem. That's a problem. You got to watch out for that. All right, let's move on. Revelation 13.9 says this, If anyone has an ear, let him hear if anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for your endurance and faith on the part of the saints. Okay, basically just a little interlude saying, and Jeremiah said something very much like this as Israel was going into exile to Babylon. But basically what verse 9 and 10 are saying is this. Christians, if you're going to be taken captive, you're going to go. You, you got to go. If you're going to be slain, you got to be slain. If you're going to, this is just, if it's going to happen, don't fight back. Mm. Like, and I'm not talking about don't defend yourself. What I'm saying is when the worldly powers turn on Christians, like in Sri Lanka, the response of Christians in Sri Lanka right now should not be, let's go back and fight them. Right. The response should be, let's mourn for our brothers and let's pray and believe that God will bring about good out of this evil. Yeah. That's how Christians respond to persecution. That's the call of the scriptures for Christians everywhere in how we respond to people who hate us. That, by the way, is how you know they are Christians. When they do turn the other cheek, mm. when they do not fight back evil with evil, right. when they repay evil with good, that's how you see these are Christians. Yeah. And by the way, that changes the world. That changes people's opinions. Amen. Arguing with them over politics, arguing with them over social issues, arguing with them over all these other things does not change it. You ever notice, Chris, how whenever you argue with somebody, mm -hmm. you really never win the argument no it never ends unless you, you just you just both have to walk you away walk away and you sure. both get what more entrenched in what you already believe right arguments do not change opinions here's True. what changes opinions love loving your enemy yeah. caring for people who don't care for you this is what jesus did for us while we were yet sinners romans 5 christ died for us he did that for us so that we would do that for others and by doing that for others we win we win the argument. It's a proven fact historically. Uh, and I get it. It's hard to not fight back. It's hard to not punch that person in the mouth when they make fun of you, when sure. they hate you, when they turn on you. I get it. Totally understand. But this is the call of the Christian to be light and salt. And what is light and salt? Different. Different in the world. Right. Okay. Beast number two, verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. Now, remember, the first, first beast comes out of the sea. This one comes out of the earth. There's an important point about that. It had two horns, not ten horns, but two, like a lamb. Remember, the first beast was like a lion. This one's like a lamb. Yeah. And it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So the second beast, his job is to exalt the first beast. Verse 13, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven. Uh, to the earth in front of people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give the beast, give breath to the image of the beast, so that the beast, image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the beast to be slain. Okay, that's a mouthful. Mm. Quickly now, the historicist, again, Catholics, beware, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when Charlemagne reinstituted pagan practices into the Holy Roman Church, uh, the influence of paganism came back into the church uh, through the priestly system. And the priests, by the way, since the time of Pope Gregory, uh, wear a, a pallium of lamb's wool uh, on their clothing. Okay. That's interesting. The, yeah. the lamb, the whole lamb thing here. Right. Um, and then you have to also look at Papal abuses throughout history for the historicists here. The historicists, historicists here. Uh, a couple of examples, like Pope Sergius III uh, obtained the papal office by murder. He ordered the death of his two successors. 
He lived openly with a woman who bore him several illegitimate children. His reign began a period known as the rule of the harlots. Sounds Yikes. like a Netflix series mm, right that's, there. He was in the 900s. Wow. <laughs> Pope John Twelfth was an immoral man uh, whose palace was likened to a brothel. Uh, the Bishop of Cremona said, No honest lady dared to show herself in public, for Pope John had no respect either for single girls, married women, or widows. They were sure to be defiled by him, even on the tombs of the holy apostles Peter and Paul. Pope Boniface VIII maintained his position through lavish distribution of stolen money. He was quoted by saying, quote, Pope Boniface VIII, to enjoy oneself and lie carnally with women or with boys is no more a sin than rubbing one's hands together. That's a pope. These are the popes. Wow. Do your history research, wow. and you will find you will confirm that what I'm saying to you is no lie. These are true. I remember I had a Catholic brother-in-law who would tell me these stories. I said, "Seriously, I didn't know that." Yeah. He said, "Yes, the the popes of the Middle Ages they were they were atrocious," and uh, and so you know I could just I have a list here. I don't have time to go over this <laughs> list, uh, but just so many. Uh, another one here: Pope Sec, uh, Sixtus the the fourth financed his wars by selling church offices to the highest bidders. Mm. He used the papacy to enrich himself and his family. For no less than eight cardinals were his nephews, some being given the position of cardinal even as a boy. Uh, this is the abuse of the second beast. The second beast again represents corrupted Holy Roman Emperor Empire. And notice too that there are a lot of things that the Holy Roman Empire does and proclaims as doctrinal truth that the Bible actually says we shouldn't do that. For instance, Jesus said, don't call anyone father. And yet we call the Pope the Holy Father, and we call priests father. He says, you have one father who is in heaven, and he is the one to whom you worship. Secondly, they forbid the marrying of priests. Uh, Priests cannot get married. They must everlasting celibacy. I don't know how they do it, and they don't. They don't do it well. Let's be honest. They do it terribly. This is why there's so much rampant sexual morality and pedophilia in the priesthood. Okay, This is a serious problem. Again, it happens in the Protestant church too, but by far less margins. 1 Timothy 4 talks about this. It says that the, uh, the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit expressly says, this is verse 1, in later times some will depart the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage wow. and require abstinence from foods that God created to be recognized. By the way, what can't you eat on Fridays Fish. if you're a Catholic? I mean, nothing. Meat. Meat, 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 right? Forbid foods, forbid marriage. Catholics, hello. <laughs> this is stuff the Bible talks about and, and is happening. Like, this is, again, this is the historicist view. But it, wow. also consider that the second beast makes an image of the first beast. Consider the iconography of the Catholic Church. Images, statues, yeah. everywhere. everywhere. Of what? Of popes, of Mary, yeah. of the saints. These are venerated as almost idolatrous idols of worship in the Catholic Church. This mm. is bad. Um, another one. Another false doctrine rampant in the Catholic Church, the uh, co-redemptrix of Mary. Yeah. The, is the, now, I know. I, I've done my research. So I know that this is just a sect inside Catholicism, but it's a pretty large sect. And a couple of popes have backed it up. That Mary participated in the redemption of humankind with Christ. Right. That's heresy. Yeah. We have one Redeemer. Christ Jesus alone shed his blood for the sins of the world. And we have to pronounce that with ferocity in our age. No one helped Jesus save you from your sins. Right. I understand Mary was used, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we love Mary. We, the, 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 the unfortunate Protestant response against Catholic doctrine is to almost ignore Mary. Right. No, we revere her. She is God's chosen vessel through whom Christ comes into the world. Totally get it. And we love her and we think she's in heaven and she was his disciple as well as his mother. Yeah. But she was not co-redemptrix. She was not, um, she is not our intermediary. She, uh, the rosary, pray for us sinners now and in the hour of our death. We don't, according to scripture, have to pray through to God through anyone except Jesus. Jesus. There is Mary. one mediator. You've got to wake up to the fact that there's a lot of uh, supported Catholic doctrines that are actually not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's the problem when you have the church as the final authority over the scriptures rather than the scriptures having final authority over the church. Yeah. 
And I'm not perfect, and our church is not perfect. And I'm sure if you looked at our church and you, you know, uh, went through our church with a fine tooth comb, you'd find some things that we are out of whack with. Well, we need to fix those things. Sure. And we all have our blind spots, but there are some blind spots that are seriously blind spots. Right. Anyway, that's the historicist view. The preterist says the second beast is the cult of the emperor. This is the uh, Roman procre, uh, the Roman governor. Sorry, after uh, Herod Agrippa, that kind of really persecuted the, the Jews uh, before AD seventy. The futurist says this is the false prophet, mm-hmm. uh, the false prophet who comes and he performs false miracles and he also raises the first beast from the dead. Again, false resurrection. Uh, Jesus kind of referred to him in John five forty three. He says, "I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me." But then he says, "This if another comes in his own name, you will receive him." Yeah. Almost like a reference to the false prophet that will come at the end times. Spiritualist says uh, that the lamb-like qualities of the second beast uh, are the uh, wolves in sheep's clothing that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7.15. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And the miracles are understood in the same way that, that the priests of Egypt perform miraculous signs in response to, to Moses' activity. Right. Uh, so anyway, those are the three, those are the four views of the second beast. Now Let's get to what you've all been waiting for, 666. Here we go. Here it is, verse 16. Bring it. Here we go. Also, the second beast causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. This is the mark of the beast. That is the name of the beast or the number of his name. I'm sorry, its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, Chris, I took your name. Oh, boy. I put it into numerology, Roman right? numerology. Okay. I used to be into that. I, I have bad news for you. Uh, it's me. <laughs> Tim, I, right, I need kidding. to resign right now. Okay, just kidding. Let's take a look at the views. The views. Historicist says, now this is an interesting view. The historicist says that the number 666 refers to the Latin language. Okay. This is, this is interesting. Yeah. Now, why? Again, Bad news, Catholics. I'm sorry. Oh, boy. The Bible was translated in Latin. <laughs> the Catholics are all about the Latin language, yeah. the Latin mass, the Latin Bible, the Latin, uh, you know, priest, the true Latin. There's a lot of Catholics. Really the only Latin Catholic churches are actually true Catholic churches. Mm. Okay. So they say, look, this is even the language. Even the language is 666, and that's the mark of the beast. <laughs> okay. All right. Enough. I'm sorry, Catholics, though, are watching. You. There's probably like one left, and he's almost not even a Catholic anymore. But anyway. Uh, that's what they say. That, again, I'm just sharing with you the view. The preterist view says that the Hebrew form of Caesar Nero, uh, Neron Kaiser, uh, the value of the seven Hebrew letters is 50 plus 200 plus 6 plus 5 plus 100 plus 60 plus 200. Adds up to 666. Okay. So Nero. As to the buying and selling... And the mark of the beast. Yeah. Uh, Nero didn't force this policy. You had to have the mark of Nero on yeah. you uh, as a business owner, as a Jew. I read that, yeah. Uh, and uh, if you didn't have that mark, you could not do business. Wow. So this is, again, history. This might be the happen in the future. Might happen. It happened in the past. I also think it happens every day in, in subtle ways. The futurist says, of course, the dictator beast will institute one world religion, one world bank, one world political um nation, if you will. Yeah. So as we see our nation, as you see the secular progressives of our nation to say, hey, 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 let's all come together. Let's all just love one another. Okay, look, you know, doesn't work. Yeah. Does not work. Like you can, you can, I, I, love, I love the idea. Hey, the idea is totally biblical, but if the heart's not changed, bringing everybody together is going to result in chaos. Sure. Okay. You just can't do it. I'm sorry. You just can't do it. You cannot take people from Muslim dominated countries and expect them to get along with people in Jewish countries or in the Jewish country or in Christian countries. They just won't because there's a reason why they separate. There's a reason why there's a fundamental philosophical differences about men and women, about what's right, what's wrong. Uh, I am not saying something that's wrong or, 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 uh, you know, insensitive here. I'm just stating facts. Sure. So the idea that we can all come together is very appealing. I get it. You know, and the and the rock musicians want to bring us all. We are the world. We are the children, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, it's a figment of your imagination, a pipe dream. It it's can't naive. happen. It's just naive. I what it is is, you want it. Guess what? Christ provides it, mm. but only through His blood. So everyone through His blood does come together. Not everybody, but those who do come through His blood, from every tribe, people, tongue, language, and nation, do come together. But without the blood, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And that's what we're going to see. 
The world's going to start singing about coming together, but it's not going to work. The dictator beast, that's what his, his appeal in the future's view is, I will bring us all together, and he won't. He will, he will claim to do that, and it won't happen. Mm. As for the 666, the numbers, I'm not even going to get into it. Look, I was, I, I, I'm old enough to remember when Ronald Wilson Reagan... Ronald Wilson Reagan. Do you remember this, Kelly? Robin? <laughs> Ronald, six letters. Wilson, oh, six yeah. letters. Reagan, six letters. Ah, okay. oh, there he is. There he is, like, sure. Meanwhile, he's taking naps in the Oval Office. Like, <laughs> not exactly up to the task of yeah. ruling the earth. Um, anyway, the spiritualist says that during the reign of uh, Domitian, this is interesting, uh, many synagogues put out of their membership Christian Jews. We talked about this earlier on this podcast. These Christians uh, also refused the physical mark of the emperor Domitian on their hands and on their heads, which was a thing in the city of Smyrna. Okay. One of the seven churches mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3. So Christians were boycotted in the city of Smyrna because they didn't actually have the mark of the emperor. This already happened. Mm. Now, you say, Pastor, did it happen? Will it happen or is it happening? I believe all three are correct. Yes. And what I'm saying to you is this. That political power and spiritual experience and financial security are very appealing Mm. forces in the world. And you've got to be aware of it. Because if you're not aware of it, you will fall for it. So summing it all up, summing up this entire talk, beware of the religious nature of modern politics. Beware, too, of the religious nature of spiritualism or spirituality. One of the things that you keep hearing from Barner research and Gallup polls is that more and more Americans claim to be, quote, spiritual, spiritual. not religious, or right. unaffiliated. Okay, of course more and more claim that. Why? Because it's appealing. It's mm. seductive. Religion is old and too many rules and organized religion hurts people. Uh-uh, you haven't gone to the right organized religion. Mm. You need to get to the one that loves people, loves Jesus, loves their neighbor. They exist. you got to find one. But beware of the religious nature in our world of spiritualism or spirituality. Of course you're spiritual. It's about what's leading your spirit. Everybody's spiritual. Don't, don't, oh, I'm just spiritual. Everybody's spiritual, pal. You're no more sacred <laughs> than the rest of us. True. It's just what's speaking into your spirit. And yeah. some of you are letting absolute nonsense be spoken into your spirit. You can watch out for that. It will destroy you. Beware of it. And third, beware the religious nature of money and commerce because the seduction of the world, three things, political power, spiritual experience, and financial security. And you don't get those from the world. You get those in Christ, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. Amen. Amen. This was the Deep End Podcast. I'm so glad that you were here. I know I went a little long today. I go along all the time. I know. I say it all the time, but I go along. I'm sorry. Lots to talk we, about. We forgive you. It was helpful. It's good. Yeah. it's good information. Come on. I hope to see you next week on the Deep End.